0: have robust yet simple to follow policies and procedures. So I talk about the ABC of writing policies and people procedures, accurate, brief, and clear. It doesn't stop there though. So I've seen HR departments in large organizations, they spend a lot of time on updating policies, procedures. That's kind of the start, that's the template. Some other points I'd say, because I do work with organisations where there's conflicts or there's, there's issues, interpersonal issues, intervene early. So don't let problems fester. Say you're a busy pharmacist and you're running a pharmacy, or maybe a number of pharmacies, you kind of think maybe the people problem will resolve itself. It generally doesn't. Hi, I'm James Judge, Director of James Judge and Associates. And you're listening to the Pharmacy, Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy, Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, focusing on pharmacy management and ownership. The PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way.
1: When it comes to people management there might be nothing worse than turning a blind eye and hoping the problem will just go away and so today our guest james judge provides practical tools advice and solutions to address the more curly challenges that can arise with staff in the workplace james is an experienced people manager and director of a consultancy aimed at helping businesses and organizations build stronger teams he's very well placed To share some of the tools from his toolkit to help you, the listeners, gain a little more confidence when it comes to doing just that. In today's episode, we look at some of the most common workplace issues, emerging trends, and most importantly, how to nip the most common workplace issues in the bud so you can keep yourself and your staff in the best shape possible for your business to thrive. Here's James. Hi, James. Thanks for joining us on the show today because it is an important topic to cover for the listeners. So, to get started, can you maybe just share a bit about your background and and what brought you into the field of workplace relations?
0: Sure, Daniel. And uh,
1: great to be here on the podcast.
0: Uh, I could give you a very lengthy answer to this, but basically, probably the short version is that um, when I started working in my first office job, I was working in what was then called personnel. Which is what HR was um, 30 or something years ago. Um, I went on to work in a couple of senior roles in the union movement. So, doing a lot of sort of industrial relations, uh, negotiations, that sort of thing. Studied law at UNSW, worked for a place called the Workplace Research Centre at the University of Sydney, uh, which is a, was about workplace research, surprise, surprise. Um, went on to work as a consultant in. Or what you'd call the talent management sector uh, for a number of private and publicly listed companies. What happened next? Got accredited as a, a mediator. I started teaching HR, employment law and dispute resolution at the university level. And it's kind of just all gone from there.
1: Very good. Now, James, our listeners, their careers obviously revolve around being pharmacists, pharmacy industry stakeholders, and that includes business owners as well. Tell us about the range of businesses and organizations that you work with and and what are the most important lessons you've learned from those people about people management?
0: Yeah, good question. Um, just in terms of who I work with, thinking, thinking about some of the clients I've worked with over the past three to six months, um, I've just finished doing work with this, doing some work with the Fulbright Australia Commission. Uh, I've done some work and I'm about to do some more work with the Australian War Memorial, uh, doing some work with IP Australia, just doing some work today with uh, NGO focused on um, uh, multicultural issues, uh, do some work with a large property group, the whole gamut. So, public sector, private sector, uh, not for profits.
1: And what are some of those important lessons that you've learned from them about people management?
0: You, oh, look, simply I could say um, it's it, the most unsuitable people keep getting promoted into people management positions. Uh, but I guess some really basic tips. Uh, have robust yet simple to follow policies and procedures. Uh, so I talk about, you know, the ABC. Of writing policies and and sort of people procedures, accurate, brief, and clear. It doesn't stop there though. So I've seen HR departments in large organisations they spend a lot of time on updating policies and procedures. That's kind of the start. That's the template. Some other points I'd say because I do work with organisations where there's conflicts or there's there's issues, um, interpersonal issues intervene early. So don't let problems fester. Um, you, I mean, you're, you're say you're a busy pharmacist and you're running a, a pharmacy, or maybe a number of pharmacies, you kind of think maybe the people problem will resolve itself. Uh, it generally doesn't. So intervene early. Uh, and you've got to keep at it. So if you want to create a workplace where people want to come to work, they're engaged, they're motivated. Uh, it's a learning culture. It's it's not a one-off. It's not something you do and then move on to the next thing and come back to it in six months' time. So there's there's just a couple of pointers that um, that I'd probably share
1: with your listeners. Well, you spoke about the issues there and intervening early. I guess that no matter what kind of workplace you're in, there are similar kinds of people issues across the board. I mean, I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but if so, what are the most sort of common issues that you see and what are some of the strategies that you give to leaders and business owners to help them deal with those issues?
0: That's a really great point, Daniel, because you'd be surprised at the number of organisations I talk to and they think they're different. Oh, you know, you don't, if we, you're not a 24-hour first responder or um, you, don't, you don't know what it's like working for an IT consulting business. Or, you know, we're in the aerospace industry, it's different from from everyone else. Uh, In short, I don't think that's true. I think you you will have some, sometimes you will have a combination of factors that make certain problems more likely. So, you know, shift work, um, hierarchies, long hours, uh, you know, unlimited needs chasing limited budget, something of the healthcare sector here, hospital sector. But really, people issues are people issues. Uh, I mean, and the issues are everything that can possibly happen with people. People aren't white goods, um, cars, you know, you've been, it's not just about petrol or, or power. Um, so I guess some of the strategies or, some of, again, some of the tips I would give to those Leaders I work with either individually or in a group setting is you don't need to be an expert in everything. So I see this especially with technical leaders, okay, people who are maybe they're scientists or they're um, uh, engineers, maybe they're pharmacists. Uh, You know, as the organisation gets bigger and your responsibility grows and and you're managing groups of people, you don't need to be across every. Unless there's an issue, and it says a real problem, you don't need to get down in the weeds. So you don't need to be an expert in everything. One of my other maxims, if you like, that I live by is assume nothing. So often you'll go into, or maybe you're managing a new area or you've got a new business and you kind of assume that the process is right. Uh, and look, I've just been caught out before when you, you make assumptions, um, you, you kind of need to you kind of not don't you shouldn't do that so never assume and listen more I don't think I've ever heard of or seen anyone listen themselves out of a job so um yeah don't, don't get down amongst the weeds especially if you're a perfectionist uh because you'll you'll burn yourself out don't assume that you know initially I mean you need to empower the people working with you but when you know in a new job, or presented with a new challenge, just don't assume, don't make assumptions, and listen more.
1: Some people think, or might think, that money can fix issues, people's issues, employees' issues, and and motivate and incentivize them. When it comes to pay and offering incentives, what's your advice to employers looking to attract and retain great staff? Is pay, or or can pay? Be a good incentive, or maybe even just a sole incentive, or are there other things that really need to be considered these days?
0: Well, pay is critical. Pay will always be critical. I mean you'd
1: know yourself.
0: We've had a suppression in the growth of real wages in this country over the last 10 years. We've just had a award rate of pay increase handed down. It's going to be 5.75 percent effective from one July. Um, so pay is important, but there are a couple of other key issues that I think apply across all generations of workers. So one is meaning and purpose. Um, on my podcast, I was interviewing somebody who wrote a book recently, and part of her analysis was looking at you know Gen X, Gen Y, Millennials. And she was saying that, oh, it's all about purpose for these, for these young kids. You know, they want to work for an organization where they can see some meaning. Then I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is a senior headhunter uh, in Europe, you know, dealing with really, really senior roles. And he said to me, Look, it's it's an issue for everyone. It's not just for, for millennials. People want to work for an organization where they feel they're making a difference. So meaning and purpose. Flexibility is a big one for a lot of people, Um, single mothers, single fathers, students, um, people looking after maybe older parents. So having that flexibility is um, really important. Probably the other thing I'd say from a recruitment perspective, I would always recommend people use a tool to help them make hiring decisions. So people tend to go with their gut. Uh, and all the analysis and the evidence shows that I mean, you don't ignore your gut, but you don't want to base your hiring decisions based on you know an initial impression and a conversation. So, I mean, I'm I'm accredited in a raft of self-perception inventories, um, you know, personality profiling tests, um, decision-making styles. The one I like the most for recruitment is a tool called a predictive index it's been around for i don't know more than 50 years very very simple to administer takes a candidate less than 10 minutes to do it doesn't have annoying features like forced choice questions so daniel i don't know if you've ever had to do an online test and is it going to be a or b or c and you go for b then later on you think well actually it could have been c just you know on the day i chose b um or they take half an hour to do so you know, think about pay, but think about, you know, are you offering some meaning or purpose? Are you offering flexibility? Um, and use some kind of tool to help you make the best decisions. So something that looks at, you've got to understand the motivators for the particular role you're hiring for, but then you want to hire a person that, that that's why they get out of it in the morning to do that kind of work. Uh, so for me, for instance, if it was looking at Excel spreadsheets all day and doing accounting, I'd probably last about a day in a role like that. Although I could quite convincingly talk about how I've used Excel and actually worked as a business affairs manager for a, for a, um, a banking organisation for a while. But, you know, a shelf life, one year max. So that's, that's what I'd, uh, I'd say on, on that front.
1: Very good. Now, James, I want to ask about the respect at work platform changes. But before I do that, for those not familiar, what is the Respect at Work platform and, and how is it useful and relevant to people?
0: This is not something that I've immersed myself in over the past couple of months, but I can speak in general, in general terms. Um, look, it's an initiative that was developed in response to some recommendations that came out of a national inquiry into sexual harassment in the workplace. And I know that it's being run by the Australian Human Rights Commission. there's a council uh, made up of co- key government regulators and policy I can't remember exactly who they all are, but I'm pretty sure it's you know, fair work ombudsman's there, and I think um, Safe Work Australia has got a got a representative and so some people from um, Attorney General's department, probably missed a few. And it's a site you can go to respect at work, where there's a whole bunch of resources, right? So there's information, there's um, education, uh, and it, it kind of spells out the laws in this space and how they apply to you as an individual um, or as a worker.
1: So, James, considering all of that, what sort of general advice would you be providing to clients on this front? Probably the main thing, or main bit of advice I'd give is you've
0: got to keep abreast of legislative and regulatory changes. Sounds boring if you're not a lawyer, but there is a lot going on in workplace employment and discrimination law at the moment. So discrimination law is pretty complicated, right? There's four federal acts that all deal with different types of discrimination. State and territories also have their own legislation in this space. The Fair Work Act um, has a whole bunch of... uh, you know clauses and regulations that that talk about anti-bullying orders and talk about sexual harassment. Uh, and it's a movable feast. So there's been major changes in this space in the last six months, in the last twelve months. and i haven't I haven't looked at it for the last six months in detail. Um, and I'm not a I have a law degree, but I'm not a practicing lawyer, so I, w- I wouldn't give advice on it. but you just you can't assume you had a look at it six months ago. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm up to date, you're probably not. So the, the one bit of advice is just take some time. You don't need to be a lawyer. You can go to these sites like Respected Work or the Fair Work Ombudsman website. There's brochures, plain English instructions. Um, just spend, yeah, you know, maybe an hour um, over, over you know, over the, over one day a week, over the next three or four weeks to bring yourself up to date.
1: James, it appears to be an issue in some workplaces, and this might be putting it a little bit mildly, that staff are suffering from burnout. What can you suggest for employers to deal with this or, or even motivation in general, and, and even both for the employer keeping an eye and, and, and trying to support employees, but also what employees can do themselves and take responsibility for?
0: Burnout. I mean, there's so many factors at play here. First, there was, a, you know, the COVID and the lockdowns and there was people working from home and then, you know, do we get them back in the office or, or, you know, or maybe they have to come in because you're running a pharmacy and you need somebody on the front counter. You just, I, and I think collectively, um, societally, our conscience and our understanding of well-being has developed over the past five to 10 years. So people now can will have a conversation about burnout or well-being, And I think even 10 years ago, it wasn't cool to do that. He didn't want to admit that something was going wrong. So there are some really simple things employers can do to have some measures in place uh, to be able to look after themselves and look after their employees. Um, and I'm there's there's something called the five ways to well being. It's very simple to understand. Um, it actually comes out of the UK, science based, a lot of evidence to support it. So I mean, even having a conversation with with employees or conversation with yourself about that five ways to well being um, is something that's worth having. Um, having conversations with having have conversations with employees where you actually talk about this. So, you know, some people have like an annual or a six-monthly performance discussion. I would say you should be talking to your staff at least weekly, informally, how's things going, what's happening in your life, how are things at work, Um, and if you've got that kind of relationship, hopefully these issues will present uh, and people will be able to talk about them. doesn't guarantee that they will um, because people are very good at masking Issues with mental health or um, unwellness, but have a kind of a framework to have those conversations. Have the conversations regularly, and if you want a free go-to resource, I would just do a Google search. Five ways to wellbeing.
1: I think that's great advice, James. Staying on that sort of that 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 topic or that theme, I'm curious about what trends you are seeing because. When I read or I listen to the news, I hear people in in one story, they're refusing to go back to the office and in the next one, the bosses are demanding it and I I read stories about silent quitting or I I hear on the news about I'm doing minimum Mondays and I hear about the mismatch or, or, or misalignment of older managers and their expectations and younger workers and their expectations. What trends are you seeing at the moment? And I know it's a tough question, but... What do you see also on the horizons in terms of what still feels to me a a little bit like a, a settling in period after COVID? Because during COVID, all we ever focused on and spoke about was returning to normal, but the workforce seems pretty reluctant on many fronts to just return to how it always was.
0: I am not a great believer in some of these new stories about silent quitting. I don't know about you, Daniel, but my mortgage is about to reset next month and my interest rate's going up. Um, I'm kind of not interested in, in you know, um, skiving off and uh, maybe only working three days a week and, and asking for five days' pay. Uh, having said that, I think it's a real mixed bag. So there are some things we know are true, and that is unemployment's at record lows, uh, there's some inflation in the system. Um, people's mortgages and cost of living looks like you know, went up the other day, and Reserve Bank says you know, the, the interest rates might keep going up. So, it depends on the industry. Depends on the on the individual circumstances of the worker. I think a lot of people who started working from home loved working from home, especially if you've got you got to pick up the kids. Um, early or you've got a 45 minute commute or an hour commute as I know a lot of people I know living in you know major metropolitan centers like Sydney or Melbourne have so for some people it's been a it's been a fill up. it's been a, a it's been wonderful other people really want to get back in the office so some younger people some grads they want to learn they want to have the conversations or have those water cooler conversations so it's a mixed bag Um I don't I don't believe in the silent quitting. Uh, I think did you mention older workers? I think again, I think there are lots of assumptions made about older workers and assumptions made about younger workers that aren't true across the board. So one is you know older workers they don't understand technology. When I've got people I know friends in their in their fifties and their sixties and they're onto the next thing, right? They've they've got the um, whatever app. They're exploring AI. So making these, uh, having these stereotypes just based on people's age, I think is it's a fallacy. It's just not true. Um, as to what I think is going to happen, I think if interest rates keep going up, we may we may have a bit of a recession. Again, I'm not an economist, <laughs> uh, but I think you know all all the things that an employer should be doing, or your listeners should be doing. Um, are true despite the noise okay is you is your are you a great employer is it a good place place to work Do you know are you hiring the right people if they need flexibility are you giving them flexibility where that where you can um and yeah and look this comes down to the other point about never assume don't assume just because one one worker or one employee really likes a particular feature that you know if that employee A it's a plus for employee A it might be for employee B so you need to be having those conversations
1: all those things you just listed that employers should be doing to create a great workplace sometimes underperformance can still occur it can still be an issue despite employers doing all the things that they should do to support employees and create a great workspace do you have any practical advice about how to manage and motivate team members in a way that Ultimately, we want to protect and, and, and savour the relationship.
0: That's, that's a great topic for another podcast. <laughs> just, just, just because, look, I, I work with individuals and organisations to help them have better conversations at work. Whether that's the career conversation, whether it's a performance discussion, whether it's uh, grappling with challenging client conversations, so, I could, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm being serious here. I mean, I could, we could talk for three hours about how to have better performance discussions. I mean, top line is it comes back to what I've said before you need to be having them. You don't want to be putting it in the diary as a monthly catch up. You need to be on top of it. Uh, you need to be very clear about what your expectations are of employees. Do you have a sensible, short, position description that explains what they're doing? Have you provided them with adequate training um, to enable them to do their job? Uh, If there are issues of underperformance, again, don't assume. There may be stuff going on in that person's personal life, so you need to be having the conversations, you need to be observing. Um, When you do have a conversation around performance, uh, it's gotta be a two-way conversation. So don't go in hard initially. Um, if something's happened or, th- or there's been a mistake made, you need, to, you need to ask the curious question. Okay, so what's going on for you here? What happened? Why do you think that happened? Um, how do you think we could do that better? So it's a dialogue. It's a discourse. Um, I think that's just three or four things off the top of my head, Daniel. But as I said... Um, I, I run seminars with with groups of managers around how to have these um, performance discussions, and there's there's quite a bit to it. It's not something that um, you're necessarily going to get off the back of a complex box or uh, <laughs> in, a, in a in a you know a one minute discourse for me on your, on your podcast.
1: Very good. Well, I think you still uh, gave a helpful answer, so it's at least a starting point for the listeners. The next one I think might be a little bit curly, but we'll see how you go, what about when customers are the ones that are causing the, the, the stress or demotivation in an organisation? What advice do you have for pharmacy teams when difficult customers come into the pharmacy and they're the ones that are causing the added stress at work?
0: The first thing I'd say is don't immediately assume the customer is the problem. Because if you have that mindset, if that's how you frame your client customer interactions, you're probably not going to be disappointed okay so sometimes the person is the problem, but that's not where you want to be starting in terms of you know mentally, psychologically or your approach. So what I know about pharmacies um, I've you know been to different pharmacies for myself and um, I, I read a lot of um, a lot of news um, I know that, Pharmacists are often trusted sources of advice for members of the community. So people are going to be seeing their pharmacist probably more than they're going to be seeing their their accountant, their doctor, definitely their lawyer. So people, and I'd be really interested to hear what the feedback is from your listeners on this, but I think a lot of people go into the pharmacy maybe to get a script filled, maybe to buy some some Panadol um, or some hair dye uh, but there, these relationships do form. And I also know, and, and there's been some interesting developments in this space in retail in particular parts of the world, having slow checkout queues where people actually go there to have a conversation, as opposed to this whole rush to you know, use technology to get people um, through the door of, of, I don't want to pick on Coles or Woolies or Aldi. Um, so some organisations have actually now, Uh, interestingly, taking this approach, no, no, we're going to have slow aisles so people can actually stand and talk to the person behind the counter. Um, I suspect that that's the case with a lot of pharmacies and pharmacy customers. So, again, it's this, oh, this person's a problem, they they want to talk about this stuff, it's not relevant. They're actually not, I mean, maybe they're there to buy something, but they're there actually because it's, it's social outreach, uh, there's this there's this relationship of trust so that's that's just one particular uh, insight I think I have about some of the people who who might come to pharmacies now I don't know maybe you get people who want to buy uh why can't I buy 20 20 packets of codeine uh I don't know, you know you th- those sorts of issues as well and 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 in those sorts of instances I'm sure that there are protocols and ways that you talk to those those customers or, or their clients you know t- to deal with um that sort of difficulty but just to to recap don't start with the assumption that the customer is a problem although the customer may very well be a problem customer uh put yourself in their shoes so what do they want are they just coming in to get a box of band-aids and getting out the door or is it something they're in once or twice a week and they actually maybe maybe they're lonely um, they want to have a conversation. How are you going to deal with that? You probably don't want them sitting there talking to the pharmacist or standing there talking to the pharmacist at the counter at the back of the shop. Um, but, you know, is it friendly? Is it welcoming? Uh, coming back to the, you know, the ABC that we talked about right at the beginning in terms of your policies and your procedures, do you have really clear instructions for staff about how to deal with different sorts of problem behaviours? So I would describe them as problem behaviours, Rather than problem customers, because the behavior isn't always the person right they could have had a a bad experience on the bus on the way there um, you don't know what's going on in their personal life
1: no I, I I think you make a good point and i like I like that framing now James, it's been a a great chat you're full of great advice, and I know you have a podcast of your own, and I wanted to give you the opportunity to give our listeners a, a taste of what you offer. can you tell us about your show and what resources you offer to business owners that might help them manage their team. And also, of course, where they can go for more information and find out more about you and what you offer.
0: Thanks, thanks, Daniel. Always happy to plug myself. So it's great to have the opportunity to do it. Um, so look, uh, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, James Judge, pretty easy to find. My website is jjconsulting.com.au. My podcast is The People and culture podcasts with, with me, James Judge. What sort of topics do I cover? Um, I'm just about to launch the my next episode is a conversation with the CEO of the Resolution Institute, which is a peak body that looks after arbitrators, mediators, conciliators. So all things about conflict resolution. Um, there's one there on psychological safety, how to create and maintain it in the workplace. Um, I did one on bullying, uh, how to create a culture to prevent uh, and you know, build inclusive cultures at work. So really anything about work uh, and people and the connection between the two are the sorts of issues um, I
1: cover. Outstanding. James Judge from James Judge and Associates, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your expertise, advice and insights on workplace issues.
0: No, great to be here, Dean. It's been a real pleasure. I could uh, probably talk about this for another couple of hours, but uh, let's, let's wrap it up.
1: Well, that's all for today's show and I really do hope you enjoyed it. I wanted to just take the opportunity to give another plug about an important workforce project the Guild is undertaking currently. It's called the Workforce Capability Project and it's a significant body of work aimed at helping to understand and plan for future workforce needs in the community pharmacy sector. The Guild will shortly be launching a new survey about pharmacy remuneration, so keep your eyes out for that one. And if you're a community pharmacy owner, we want to hear from you. Lastly, it's that time of year again where the Guild asks all of its members to renew and encourages any community pharmacy owners who are not yet members to get in touch and sign up. All these exciting surveys and sign-ups are easily accessible from the Guild's website, guild.org.au, and the links, of course, are in the show notes. Thanks, everyone. Hope you have a great fortnight. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to Episode 124 of the PBCN Podcast.
0: The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.